Welcome to the Pod 20. I'm Graham Mack with a rundown of the most popular podcasts right now, according to downloads and your recommendations at thepodcastradio.co.uk. You'll also be hearing from some of the podcasters that made the chart this week, including one half of Britain's most apologetic couple. The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in London, the home counties, Manchester, Birmingham and Glasgow, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Let's get into the chart now and at number 20, the high performance podcast with Jake Humphrey, an intimate glimpse into the lives of high achieving world class performers. Jake's latest guest is Jensen Button. 19. The Jordan B. Peterson Podcast. Enlightening discourse that will change the way you think. 18. Test Match Special from BBC Radio 5 Live. Insight, analysis and interviews. 17. Tales from the Tannoy. Eleanor Hamilton chats with voice talent. Eleanor, your late husband Phil Sayer was a voice actor. It's his voice that says Mind the Gap on the Underground. Was it through Phil that you got into the voiceover world? Yeah, because I was already in radio. And I think that when we sort of, when we got it on um, after a while and we, I think it was after we were married that he kind of said, well, look, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you contact your your contacts in Leeds? Because my, all of my radio contacts were over there. And he said, I've got a lot of contacts in Manchester. Maybe we could try to join forces a little bit. And especially with a male and a female in the same room in those days, you, you know, you didn't have that many couples who were doing voiceovers. So all these double header voiceovers that, you know, the, the scripts of two people in a kitchen, um, they would all come to us and a very small selection of other people because it was easy to record them both at the same time. Right. So, so you found a how, niche there. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Not deliberately, but it, it, it did. And I was still at uni, you know, I'd come over to uni um, as a mature student and was doing three years at uni. So it kind of worked out because by the time I graduated, things had picked up with the voiceover side of things. It certainly didn't happen straight away. It wasn't like, you know, immediately got um, a full-time job, not by any means, but um, after a while, um, by the time I'd, I'd been at uni three years and graduated, I'd sort of had enough to to keep me, keep the wolf from the door, I suppose. So is that when you set up the company? Yeah, I would say so. I'm trying to think what the timeline is really. I'd, uh, yeah. I think so. We, we, I think once it became apparent that we, we had something going on here and, uh, you know, things are working, we formed the, the company and it's been going ever since. And I, and I still call it Sayer Hamilton, even though Sayer's not with us anymore. He's still very much part of the business. I can't, I'd never take his name off it because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing it. Um, I, I'm, I'm fairly sure I'd be doing something broadcasty or I'd, I'd be showing off in front of a microphone somewhere, whether I'd be singing or acting or whatever. But, um, you know, he is the reason why why I'm doing this. And he's the inspiration behind the podcast in, in every way. So, yeah. you know, his, his name remains and always will. So, And he's doing, he's, the, he's now the voice then of London Underground, but you're on London Underground as well. Somebody had recommended Phil as, um, well, he, he's the, the guy that you want because he's already on the main line. Yeah. And they, they, they needed another female to provide all these station announcements and things. So I think it just kind of made sense that I, I auditioned and it was probably easiest for them to 
book me as anybody else. But I do, I say in, in episode one of the podcast, because I, I listen back to these announcements now, um, because I was 26, I'd just given birth to twins and I was exhausted. And um, and I just sound so tired. <laughs> so how, how long after giving so birth to twins did you, did you do the, the recording then? A few days. Really? It was yeah. I didn't have maternity leave. I'm self-employed. Hello. Um, yeah. I. Uh, so how many, now, there must be thousands of announcements that you would have had to make because yeah. it's all the different stations and all the different, all the different apologies. <laughs> that's it. That's true. And, and not just all the different stations, but all the different stations twice in case they come at the end of a line. So you've got. Um, different Morden. tone. Morden. So you've got the. Right. Know, right. Upward and the downward inflection. And they were so. all done. Just, so you still hear it and go, I still sound tired. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and didn't you... But did, I mean, they get people where they want to go, so it doesn't matter. Didn't the two of you become known as Britain's most apologetic couple? We did. Yeah. And in fact, it was a Channel M, which was a, a TV station in Manchester who came to interviewers because I think we maybe made it into the Telegraph. or so. Somebody had done an article about us um, and found, it, found out that the... Um, the underground announcers were a married couple um, and they did a, 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 a newspaper article about us and then uh, Channel M came along to uh, to interview us. And we've, we've, there's still something on YouTube where we, uh, we yeah, apologise. I've watched it. Being, I've watched uh, it. <laughs> you, you, had, uh, you had Phil apologising for being late or something because uh, he, he was... And you were deciding what the weather was like, whether to, to tr take the kids in the car or something. I, can't, I think so. It's quite yeah. funny. People should check Some it out. Some kind of little skit of, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it is a nice little piece and something that you'll always have. Just like you'll yeah. always have Phil's voice saying, mind the gap, you know. That I must, and must it, be nice. It is weird. It's it's lovely. It's it's, And I think that we live in a modern age where I'm so lucky that we've got films of each other and you know I've got a lot of film Phil on camera and obviously I've got a lot of Phil's voice um I don't have as much of Phil's voice just being Phil as I'd like although yeah. there are a few little outtakes and things which we managed to find which I've sort of strung together and made there's into there's one on your website there. which is hilarious yeah yeah of, of outtakes yeah. Of the and, two and, of you together it's, it's lovely do you want to do it again because I yeah, felt like I, I didn't yeah yeah <clears throat> I think there's a better one in got a, something in my throat <laughs> yeah sorry about that <laughs> I promised as well, didn't I? <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Due to its huge success, Secure a Home have extended their biggest ever sale. A, a genuine... Sorry. Shut up. Sorry, I thought that was my oh. No, what an amateur. <laughs> Key fireplaces. Full fitting service. Key fireplaces. You cloth-eared <laughs> Told you, hundred. <laughs> I thought we'd ad-lib there. <laughs> I can't believe our little baby's leaving home. Make sure you do, son. The house won't be the same without you. Bye! Why am I going up there? I don't know. We're celebrating everything great about the countryside in this wonderful county, from the smallest chicks to the biggest bulls. <laughs> Sorry, I've just realised how funny that is. <laughs> Whether you want a gentle swim or plan to do some serious lengths. <laughs> <laughs> On selected new cars now at RMB Toyota, Stockton, Darlington, and North Allerton. See full terms and conditions at rmbauto.co.uk. Oh, sh oh, sorry, it's me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sake. Sorry. Here you go. Oh, you shouldn't have. Um, what is it? Directions to the brand new motor park. Oh, 
Isn't it amazing? Oh, it's brilliant! I know! Where are you going? I'm going to look for a marble fireplace. Oh, go to... Self. Right. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a mouthful. Tales from the Tannoy is at number 17 this week on the Pod 20. 16 is The Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show with DJ Envy, Angela Yee, and Charlemagne the God. 15 drama queens, Brooke, Peyton, and Haley are your BFFs. And number 14, On Purpose with Jay Shetty, conversations with the most insightful people in the world. 13, Behind the Bastards, the podcast about the worst humans in history. 12, Happy Place, Fern Cotton talks to incredible people about life, love, loss, and everything in between. Fern's latest guest is Natalie Imbruglia. 11. Monday Morning Podcast with Bill Burr. In the latest episode, Bill rants and rambles about parenting with tablets, the French marathon runner, and Wendy's. Number 10. Leading with James Ashton. James brings together people from the top of very different organisations in the worlds of business, charity, the arts, and beyond to discuss their take on leadership. James, you're a journalist and you've worked for lots of national newspapers. The newspaper game has got a reputation for producing, shall we say, polarising leaders? Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, in parallel with the podcast, I wrote this book called The Nine Types of Leader. And, and, and the question that's come up when I've talked about the book in particular is, well, you've been in the newspaper game, James. Which category do you put your editors in? Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that, you you know, you've alluded to it, Graham, that um, the newspaper industry is, uh, was perhaps a little bit more unreconstructed for longer than some other industries. And you have quite a, a tough white male environment. That's changed an awful lot, I think, say in the last 10 years. But I think of those leaders that you think of, those editors that, um, you know, very, um, very strong and know their own mind, you probably would call them alpha leaders. But I think there is something really, really impressive about the, you know, you haven't got much time to, to mess around in a newsroom, particularly if something if something's breaking, if you've got to rip th- things up, change the front, whatever. I think those editors that absolutely know their readers, they have great gut instincts. Um, and yes, they're probably the people that, you know, will, will shout across the newsroom um, with some pretty fruity language. But, um, but some of those titles have done very, very well off the back of that um, over many years. I mean, the Daily Mail is a, is a good example. So are you saying that just because somebody appears to be difficult or abrasive, that doesn't necessarily make them a bad leader? No, I think there's, um, I mean, the interesting thing about this alpha type, I mean, alpha is, you know, it used to be everybody wanted to be an alpha, hence it was, you know, A for alpha. And I think in later years, it's become this pejorative term. You know, everyone must be a much more a campaigning leader or a human leader. And there's other, there's those types that I've interviewed in the pod and also, um, you know, put in the book. Um, but I think there are instances where alphas are still absolutely successful. I mean, look at Silicon Valley, mm. full of alpha leaders. Mm. The, the, the leaders over there, they, um, they uh, metaphorically bang their fist on the table. They have more power um, than the likes of um, Philip Green, who you would associate with with the alpha type in the UK, more power than he could ever dream of. Mm. Um, so I think there are, and I think also coming out of something like the pandemic, if you've got a, um, 
you know, an, an alpha leader is very decisive, very firm. They know their own mind. They might not be listening to everyone around them. They do get stuff done. And I think there's also evidence that they can be that figurehead. Um, sometimes these more modern types of leader say, and this is always an excuse if they don't want to be interviewed by, by me, they might say, well, it's not about me, James. It's about the team. Mm. It's guff. It's guff. <laughs> it's about, it, you know, there's one person in charge. They get the big bucks. They've got to stand up and be counted. And the alpha has absolutely no problem about that. Um, there can be a bit abrasive with it. They probably have got the biggest yacht and they will insist on the biggest office. Yeah. So, but, you know, they have their place. There were a lot in radio and I worked for a few of them. There was one I didn't work for, but apparently he had a sign above his desk that just said, fit in or F off. <laughs> so, I don't know if that was a good leadership slogan or not. And did you? No, I didn't work for him. So oh, I don't you didn't know. work? I, I, okay, I, not, no, not that okay. one. No, I did work for some some pretty uh, interesting characters, but I didn't work for that one that had that particular sign. I only heard well, about I, I mean, yeah. one, one famous, and I'm sure you know him, I mean, uh, the uh, the famous uh, John Myers, who- Yes, um, well, I worked for John was, Myers. I worked for John yes, Myers. Yes, yeah. I mean, he was running, uh, which stations did he go into? I think it was Century. Century, he Century was, it was one of the, it was, actually worked for two of the Century stations, but one of them was after they, they'd sold it. But I worked for the Century in the Northeast. And John famously sacked the religious affairs broadcaster by saying, um, <laughs> um, you're out because not even God is listening, <laughs> I think. Yeah, but John was a terrific guy and he sent me a really nice note when I won the Sony Award. And uh, yeah, he was he was one of a kind, John. And uh, yeah, but there are others I've worked for as well who were, who were interesting characters. And a lot of the time it was best to just stay out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the clue. This might not be the time, but I remember interviewing John. I was at uh, one of the Scottish papers, and he was with Guardian Media Group, and they yeah. just bought they bought Scott FM, yeah, twenty uh, odd million. And uh, I was on, I I called him up, and um, yeah, I interviewed interviewed him going through McDonald's drive through. That was his celebration for uh, for uh, for landing the deal. <laughs> wow! Yeah. So, who's the best leader you've ever actually worked for? Um, well, I think in newspapers, look, I've been really lucky to work for two of the best editors on Fleet Street. I think Paul Dacre, John Witherow are exactly um, the, you know, the best thing you can say about both of them is they, they know their product, they know their readers. And so, you know, Dacre at the Mail and uh, John at the Sunday Times and now the, the, the Daily, the Times, um, you know, this is why they're very, very strong products, I think. I mean, you look at other titles in the market. I mean, think about how many times the Daily Express has flip-flopped. You know, is it left wing? Is it right wing? Is it for the north? Is it for the south? Uh, that's why it lost all its readers. Mm. You know, it's, it's about being consistent and actually having that long, long-term um, relationship. So, you know, I think I think they would be – and obviously – I was quite junior in some of in some of those roles in in some of those times. So you don't you don't um, see them every day. You might hear them, um, but but you sure know how things percolate through the newsroom. How um, the sense of of um, how things are being put together. Yeah. So I think that's that is an I think that's an example of good leadership. What is that? That everybody in the team knows really what the title stands for and what's expected of them without the boss having to yeah. tell them. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, Leading with James Ashton is at number 10 this week on the Pod 20. At 9, Freakonomics Radio. Discover the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Dubner, co-author of the Freakonomics books. 8, Hidden Brain. Shankar Vedantam, 
uses science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behaviour. 7. Today in Focus from The Guardian, the podcast that takes you behind the headlines for a deeper understanding of the news. Number 6. Media Masters with the PR guru, Paul Blanchard. One-to-one interviews with people at the top of the media game. Do you have a favourite guest, Paul? I have loads of different favourite guests, really. That sounds like a cop-out, Paul. You don't want to offend anyone, I understand. There's a bit of PR going on there. No, it's actually more about the (laughs) the agony of choice, really. I mean, there's seven or eight memorable episodes stand out because of what I've sort of learned in in my own self. I mean, Ben Page was one of my early ones because he's an old mate of mine, is Ben, and he runs Ipsos Mori, the polling company, and I think he was was one of the earliest ones we ever did. And he said that he... um, What always struck me is he... um, he kind of he kind of became a pollster just because it was advertising Media Guardian after he'd finished his degree, but and just viewed it as something that he was going to do um, while he found something else. It was just like, and then within a blink of an eye, you know what life's like. He was suddenly been there ten years, and he was just sort of, you know, a couple of rungs up the ladder up, but nothing major. And uh, someone described him as a pollster uh, when he was speaking at something, and he thought, well, that can't be right. And then suddenly he thought to himself, there was a light bulb moment, and he thought, well. I actually am a pollster, aren't I? If I've been doing this for 10 years, why am I denying what I am? I've been in polling for 10 years. I am a pollster. And the, the, then the next thought, once he kind of came out to himself and admitted to himself that he was a pollster, his next thought was, well, if I'm going to be a pollster, I, I, I'm ambitious. I, I want to be the best pollster in the world. I want to lead this organization and so on. And, and I really like that because he, he then said, right, if I am going to be a pollster, which I, I clearly am, then I'm going to be the best in the world. And then I think within five or six years, he was chief executive of Ipsos Mori at that point. And obviously, he's one of the biggest names in polling in the world now. And uh, he's a lovely bloke. But I really, there's, there's, I think there's sort of little nuggets of insight and value that I picked up along the way. Yeah. And I've learned, learned that with a lot of people is there's this the survivorship bias, isn't there? That when you, you know, because we interview successful people, you, you, you forget about all the people that didn't make it along the way. So there was a guy who's a friend of mine, Ken Hertz. He's a Hollywood lawyer and agent. And that was another one that stuck with me. And he acts for loads of, loads of sort of Hollywood celebs and actors and so on. I actually had lunch. He, he invited me to stay for lunch with him after the podcast in his office. And Jaden Smith, you know, was just starring as the karate kid. He came and sat with us for an hour and we all ate a sandwich <laughs> together. It was quite surreal. But he was saying to me that, that, you know, that, there's that he said, you know, people like Beyonce and people like Will Smith, there's, there's hundreds of people that are talented like that. And he said, it's not to demean the massive talent that Beyonce and Will Smith have got. He said, they're amazing. He said, but there's hundreds of other amazing people that have sat waiting on tables for 20 years in Hollywood that never get their break. And it's just luck. That's what he was saying. He said that you all, you all look at, he, he said, Beyonce is worth hundreds of millions and sings at the president's inauguration. And there's someone who's just as good a singer who's waiting tables at Denny's uh, and living on tips. He said, both of them are just as talented and neither of them have done anything wrong. He said, but that's the brutal effect of, of, of survivorship bias is, is this Hollywood thing is that we only care about the people who have made it like they've got some special secret sauce. And the reality is, is they've, they've worked hard. They've got a talent and they've got a lucky break. And that's only one extra box ticked from the person who's waiting your table in Hollywood. And I yeah. thought that was fascinating as well, how we idolize this secret source element of, of success as if, as if Beyonce is clever and the person waiting the tables isn't. So there's loads of things I've learned over the, over the years, life advice and, uh, and so on, how the media actually works. And, um, 
you know where the power lies it's just been it's just been absolutely great it's been i think my the podcast i was saying this to my wife the other day i think it's the best thing i've ever done in my life because it has it has taught me so much um i don't know of any other um sort of mechanism where i could go to the very biggest people in the world in my own industry and ask them anything i like for an hour and have them talk to me you know it is it is an incredible privilege and um you know, I, I've learned a lot. It's grown my my network hugely, um, and um, you know, I just I just think it's been been great. I, I it's just born of curiosity, but it, it really has paid off in spades. And I must say as well, even though even though genuinely it's not meant as a commercial initiative, there's no sponsorship, and I've never set out to monetize it in any way. It has helped me grow my own business, and and I think it's helped me grow my business because I because I my intent is for it to not grow the business that is i don't see it as a business development thing and then i think my sort of pureness of intent then means that it that's why it helps me because it has you know introduced me to lots of opportunities and all kinds of things i've had guests that have referred me to their their bosses and then i've had you know they've hired me and and so on and and it, but i've never i've never had a guest on to try and win them as business because i mean i think my listeners wouldn't forgive me if they had if i had someone that was clearly contrived and not relevant and i was only doing it to try and line my pockets but actually not having that intent has been the best thing for it really because then i've had you know some absolutely huge names on yeah you have had some great guests on there media masters with paul blanchard number six this week on the pod 20 five conan o'brien needs a friend after 25 years at the late night desk conan has never made a real and lasting friendship with any of his celebrity guests so he started a podcast to fix that Conan's latest guest is the actor Michael Keaton. Number four, shagged, married, annoyed. The only way Rosie and Chris Ramsey can have a conversation without being interrupted by a toddler or ending up staring at their phones is by doing a podcast. Number three, Dr. Death, Miracle Man. Paolo is a smart and handsome surgeon, renowned for his ability to perform surgeries that'll transform his patients' lives. When a television producer covers him for a story, he'll transform her life too. But not in the ways she expects. Dr. Death, Miracle Man, from Wondery. Number three this week on the Pod 20. Number two, Crime Junkie. You can never get enough of true crime. And for a second week at number one... Short History Of. Each week, Paul McGann transports you back in time to witness history's most incredible moments and remarkable people. It's October 1962. The Soviet Union has successfully planted ballistic missiles on Cuban soil, just 485 miles from Florida. And so Kennedy is informed early in the morning of the 16th at 9 a.m., a group of intelligence analysts come to the White House and show pictures to Kennedy with a target on the United States showing the radius of the missile potentials hitting cities in the United States. These weapons have a range of 2,200 miles, putting virtually the entire contiguous United States at risk. How will President Kennedy respond? This is a short history of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Short history of number one this week on the Pod 20. 
And that's it for episode 69. Thanks to this week's guest pod stars, Eleanor Hamilton, James Ashton, Paul Blanchard, and Paul McGann. Next week, my guests include Emily Strasser from the podcast The Bomb. I have a vivid childhood memory of visiting my grandmother's house near Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Above the bed where I slept hung a photo of my grandfather standing in front of a mushroom cloud. I'd stare at his image on my grandmother's wall for hours. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it meant. I never met my grandfather. He died before I was born. But now I know what he did. Now I know what he helped to create. Last night's target for the first atomic bomb was the city of Hiroshima on the shores of the inland sea west of Kobe. My grandfather worked on the bomb that dropped on the city of Hiroshima 75 years ago. As I've grown older, I've tried to make sense of my grandfather's choices. I've tried to make sense of what he was involved with. And I'm still trying to make sense of what humanity unleashed when it dropped that bomb. Emily, you're in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but the podcast was put out by the BBC World Service. How did that relationship happen? It was a bit random, to be honest. I have no experience in radio. Um, right. Oh, I see. I'm, because I'm, listening to your stuff, it's very, you know, from from a you know a pair of British ears, it's very this American Life kind of PBS huh. kind of style. So obviously, you were influenced by that kind of storytelling. But you, you don't, I thought you must have come from that back. What is your background then? <laughs> so I'm just, I'm a writer. Um, right. And I love, I mean, I love podcasts. I love This American Life. I love a lot of that kind of nonfiction storytelling. And I've been kind of looking for my in for a long time. <laughs> so um, this was a great opportunity. Well, but, they don't get much um, bigger than the BBC, you know, no, on a world stage. Yeah. Um, you know, they reached out to me. They found They did? Writing. What, from your writing? Yeah. Okay they were interested in my personal connection. Right. So then you did the writing and they did all the imaging and the production. So I actually wasn't the writer, which was also strange for me as a writer. Um, but I they did, took your uh, work. Yeah. So they, um, the writer was AC Smith. So, and she did, you know, the bulk of, of the research along with the producer. Um, and then took, Sort of, and then you know we talked about how does my story fit into this, and and how does my my voice um, fit into this, and I did you know it was a it was a obviously collaborative process where um, we're editing and rewriting together, and some of some of the parts that are my story are are you know my writing. Did you enjoy it? Oh yeah, it was really fun. I'm so used to doing everything myself, you know, all the research, all of the writing, all of the everything that to sort of be part of a team that was as excellent as the BBC um, was really exciting, you know. And was the BBC on this side of the Atlantic or was it in the USA? Um, so it was actually based out of BBC Wales. Really? Okay. So yeah. you're <laughs> three or 4,000 miles away. Um, yeah. you're, not even, you're not even on the coast, in the, you're not even near the ocean. You're right in, in, right. Uh, right in the middle there in, in Minneapolis. So you're dealing with these, these people at BBC Wales. Wow. And you put it together. And was this during the, um, the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah, it was all last year. So I think they contacted me like early March. 
Yeah, so, right before everything. Just as it started, yeah. Shit so you're not going to you're not going to go into a local studio and record your bits then. Right. And that was originally the plan, but obviously yeah. that changed and so um we had, you know, at as you have probably learned too, right, how to put up a home studio, but I did it This is this is my what time. you would call closet. Yeah. Yeah. It looks it looks very, you know, well done. It's <laughs> definitely you. better than my like mattresses on the wall, <laughs> pillow forts that I had to build. Yeah. And so then you voiced it all from from what where you are right now. Yeah, I was actually part of the time I was in Tennessee, which is where, um, ironically, where my grandfather like lived and worked um, in this in my grandparents' house. Um, where you'd there, originally was, seen the photograph. Yeah, exactly. Same house. Yeah, so that was interesting. Well, actually, that house has been torn down and they've built a new one, but same pl- same, same place. Same site. Yeah. Yeah, same site. Yeah. Um, but then the rest of it was up here in Minneapolis. So then when you heard it back, could you could you hear it as you went along or did you just record your voice cold and then you didn't hear it till it was all fully produced? Because it is incredibly well produced. The way that they've used the sound effects and the music and the, the other voices and stuff, it really does tell the story well. Were you Did you know that was what it was going to sound like when it was done? I mean, so Glenn Tansley, the producer, had told me that the sound was going to be incredible. I knew... Um, it is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that Richard Gould from Skywalker Sound was involved, and I knew that um, Trevor Garekis was doing the score, and I did get to hear the sort of main score early on, and I was just sort of stunned at how it set the mood. Yeah. Um, you know, it made me feel like sort of this mix of poignancy and, and fear and suspense and the ominousness all at once, even though I know, like, what the story is. Yeah. And, and it really does get across that fact. You know, I grew up under the threat of, you know, nuclear war. I think we all did at some level. And it's not just a history piece about, you know, how it was developed and how the scientists worked on it and, and that kind of thing. It does connect it to the world we live in today and, uh, and a world we don't want to live in tomorrow if things got... Mm got really hot it is uh it's really really well done and and atmospheric and as you say that the musical score and just the simplicity of that like drone Mm. that that builds and then you hear your voice and your voice in the prologue you know just setting it up it's a wonderful podcast it's emily strasser and more from emily next week on the pod 20 in the meantime you can watch extended video chats with my guests on youtube and subscribe to my youtube channel And what will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will short history of stay at the top for a third week? Will your favourite podcast be at number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart. Make a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.